The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Hey, how are you? I am totally buoyed, buoyed. What's, uh, what's the, anyway, I'm really, I'm just in a great mood. I got my vaccine a few days ago and... Oh, hang on. I, I think someone's talking in my ear. Denny, I am contacting you via the microchip that was inserted in your vaccine. Really? I thought that was just an outlandish conspiracy theory. It's true. You're now under the control of major corporations. Huh. No kidding. Which ones? Several. Begin by first consuming many bags of Doritos. Huh. Well, what can I say? You're the boss out of my control, nefarious voice in my head. I bet you'll get along with the other voice that's been in there since, uh, well, long before you. You both imposed the same instructions. I did get the shot recently, and I do feel great. And I am way too fond of Doritos. Uh, the microchip in my body? Nah, that's uh, that's not true. Or so I would have you believe. <laughs> believe this, though. We'll hear how and why the Ops Arena avoided the wrecking ball. Alex McLeod of Ward's Lawyers explains the recent changes to the Divorce Act. And... There's been a lot of, like, breakdowns between the students. Like, crying sessions on Zoom together. Because our program relies so much on the contact with other people. How does one study performing and acting in college when you can't be on stage together? LCDI grad and singer-actor Sydney Hartwood-Jones is our feature interview of episode 29 of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Thanks for being with us. My name is Denny Grignon. I host this program, which is now more than a year old. I don't know what you were doing last Saturday night. Me? watching hockey, and waiting with anticipation between periods to learn if Bob Cajun would win the Kraft Hockeyville competition and earn big money for big upgrades to its arena. All four finalists from across the country in their own individual boxes on my TV screen there and just watching to see what would happen. And, and then Gary Bettman, NHL commissioner, proclaims on national TV Elsie Pogtog, First Nation in New Brunswick, the big winner. I was happy for them. I really was. But I was also wistful for Bob Cajun. I'm, I'm sure the look of disappointment on my face even mirrored that of the group from Cajun in that little box on my TV. But here's the thing. Looks can be deceiving. A few days after the announcement, I reached Kathleen Seymour Fagan, a counselor with the city of Corth Lakes and a resident of Bob Cajun who was in that little box on my TV that night. The funny thing is, um, what you saw and what the rest of Canada saw on Hockey Night in Canada was a reaction that was taped earlier. So you didn't see the reaction of us clapping and everything for them because what they do is they cut out to only the people who win and they put the reaction that they taped earlier during the day on. Oh, okay. Well, take me, uh, take us to the reality then. What what would we have seen from you and your group when it was announced that uh, that you were not the winner? Well, we, we were still happy for them. Someone won. You know, we we won anyhow because we were in the top four, and we still received twenty five thousand and ten thousand towards equipment, and you know, it, it brought some uh, some more fame to the area. 
But no, it's fantastic that the other group won. I think we're all winners. They just won a little bigger, and that's okay. <laughs> How would you describe the past few months leading up to this event, the, the crescendo of it all? Well, um, you know what? It, uh, it it was pretty exciting. When we were nominated, we thought, oh, well, you know, that's great. We didn't really know, you know, what else it entailed. And then one of the volunteers with Impact 32 dug right in uh, and found out more information, found out what we needed to do, and then reached out to the community this is Anna Dare. So she reached out to the community and, um, you know, the community stepped in. It was it was amazing how many different people and different groups stepped in to help this. It wasn't just Bob Cajun. It was other areas as well. It was Lindsay. It was uh, Buckhorn. It was Kinmount. Um, it was Fenland. So it wasn't just Bob Cajun. It was the entire Kawartha Lakes. Peterborough even reached out to us. So does that surprise you, the fact that it were that there were rallying cries on, on your side outside of Cajun? Not really. Not within Kawartha Lakes. I, I kind of expected and hoped that that would come. Um, and actually, one of the people who were up for Hockeyville, it was Manitoba, and they said if it wasn't... Uh, if they weren't nominated, that they would have voted for Bob Cajun because of the tragically hip connection. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. Well, like you said, That's you're not, right. you're not, uh, you didn't leave empty-handed. There is that twenty-five thousand dollars and an additional ten thousand dollars, which I, I guess I, I wasn't aware of. What uh, what plans do you have for that? So the twenty-five thousand dollars will go to the, any upgrades that we need at the arena. And there's a few accessibility upgrades that we need, so we will be putting it towards that. And the $10,000 is for equipment. So we, we've we heard from Craft Hockey Build, so we'll have to find out a little bit further what we're to do. And it might just be donated equipment um, that we, um, you know, we give to the people who, who are in need of it. What do you think this means for the community? Uh, not just within Cajun, but within all Quarth Lakes and, well, everywhere. Well, I think we've always been kind of the Canadian, uh, quintessential Canadian town. So, and we, you know, we have a lot of tourism. The Trans-Severn Waterway is, is a big draw and Bob Cajun is on its own. So, you know, it just adds to the the aura of the town and the area. For the, for the community, it just shows how strong we are. Um, last year we had, you know, something that wasn't quite so positive happen in the community, but now we have positivity and, you know, I think it was also something for people to focus on. So I think that they need to remember <laughs> that we're all working together and we all need to continue working together on things. Mm -hmm. Well, I know you, uh, you you didn't win the grand prize, but I'm going to offer my congratulations anyway. Oh, well, thank you very much. And uh, we still won, right? <laughs> you did. We are brought to you by our exclusive sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, Carissa and Jason Ward and their team have you covered. You can find them at wardlegal.ca. The Advocate Podcast is 100% local media and part of the Advocate Magazine and Advocate Online. Our publisher is Roderick Benz, whose piece in this month's edition, well, let's just have Roderick tell you. So, who did you vote for last time? I know, it's kind of personal. Okay, why did you vote the way you voted last time? Chances are it was because that's how your parents voted and maybe even how their parents voted. Voting along familial lines is more than common, it's the norm. And the April edition of The Advocate, I dissect my own political journey in my Benz's Belief column. I started out as a young conservative, and now I'm a... well, what exactly am I anyway? Find out more in the current edition, 
Pick it up at Lamentia's Country Market, Boiling Over's Coffee Vault, and many other locations across Kawartha Lakes. You are listening to episode 29 of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. For anyone who's gone through a divorce, in full disclosure, I have not, they will tell you it can be one of the most harrowing and draining experiences in their lifetime. And of course, stressful for any kids involved. It's the law's responsibility to exercise fairness in all of this. And, and those laws, those rules, they, they evolve, they change, as they have very recently via the Divorce Act, especially when it comes to how custody is now defined. It's a lot to wade through, and we're here to help with... Wards of Wisdom. More than just words of wisdom, it's wards of wisdom. Wards of Wisdom. Alex McLeod is a lawyer with Wards Lawyers who specializes in family and criminal litigation. He joins me now to explain some of the recent changes to the Divorce Act. Alex, uh, thanks for making time for us. No problem, Denise. Thanks for having me. Okay, uh, I want to know what what is the biggest change that you've seen and, and you've had to work with in this divorce act, in your opinion? So, uh, Denis, I think the biggest change that will probably provide the the most clarity or the biggest impact for uh, uh, clients that are involved uh, in the family court system is the change of the terminology or the remo- removal of the t- terminology as it relates to the term custody. For as, as long as I've practiced, the better part of 13 years, custody is always determined as, if not the, one of the hot button issues uh, in relation to uh, any type of family court negotiation or ultimate litigation. Uh, it's a term uh, that uh, twists parents uh, around into their respective positions and has them dig, dig their heels in uh, almost to an inability to allow for the free flowing of discussion. Okay, well, custody, uh, and, when I think of custody, I just think of who gets the kids. Yeah, and, and I think, that in all fairness, I think, you know, you know, the thought that you've just demonstrated right now is the thought that most people have, have had, uh, even during the past when the term custody was around. When you break down the term, and this is part of the, part of the, the, the best thing that I think counsel can do, even before the changes to the Divorce Act, when you break down the term custody, it has nothing to do, uh, in essence, with who gets to see the children and how often. Custody, to its simplest term, was who gets to make the decisions. Uh, and again, it, it, it was a term that parents you know, think the exact same way that you do. Well, I'm not having mom or I'm not having dad take custody for me means I won't get to see my children. Uh, and it doesn't mean that at all. Um, um, you know, again, to its simplistic form, custody is who makes the major decisions that impact the children's lives. Where I think parenting and where I think moms and dads need to put more focus and more attention uh, and ultimately more of their financial resources is in developing a reasonable parenting plan. And that's really what the, the, the main change in relation to the Divorce Act as it relates to the term custody has, has done. It's taken that term out and it said, look it, let's not get wrapped around or focused on who's going to make these major decision making. Let's put more focus and more interest on, okay, how can we form a parenting agreement in order to best maximize the parent's time with the children uh, by operating under the, the general or the formal guidelines of in the best interest of the child or children. So I think what this does is it really takes the emphasis or really takes the burden off the judiciary and counsel associated with these files from having to have these decisions. It's clear and black and right in the legislation now. 
the removal of the term custody will also allow for each parents to feel like they get to make the day-to-day -day decisions that affect the children's lives when they're in their own care. You know, you're not going to have to ask the opposing parent as to what, uh, you know, the three-year-old has to eat tomorrow night. Uh, you know, by removing that term custody altogether, uh, I think folks are going to feel much more um, comfortable and empowered with respect to the day-to-day -day decisions that they get to make for their children. I would say for five years, we've had our local judiciary saying it's only a matter of time until that, that term's removed. The emotion that's attached to the term custody was one that would cause moms and dads, dads to burn through tens of thousands of dollars without really knowing what they're going after. What I have noticed, uh, you know, in, in relation to the changes of the term is uh, the explanations regarding what custody actually means are no longer required. And it's funny, uh, you know, up until March 1st, one of the conversations that I would have with almost every one of my clients is despite the fact that, that decision making is going to be important to you, ultimately there are very few decisions that parents are going to have to make, uh, you know, in their children's lives that aren't already made for them. Uh, Decision-making when it comes to medical decisions. Again, this is an issue that's really important to mom or dad, whether it's in a, a joint parenting capacity in the past, a joint custodial capacity. I would think and I would hope, you know, in 99% of these files, decisions are going to be made based on the medical professional's recommendation. You know, if one of the children suffers from type 1 diabetes, do, you know, do, do they get the insulin that they require to survive? And again, in most circumstances, people are going to listen to the science and the medical professionals to make those decisions. And even in the past, if the non-custodial parent didn't agree with that decision, the courts were there to allow them the opportunity to say, in this very specific decision, I think we need to overrule a mom's or dad's decision making as it relates to this one medical issue. From what I could gather, they're they're redefining the whole term family violence. And again, to the layman like myself, I th to me that seems so plain and simple. Yeah, and and in fact, the big you know that's what I would refer to as is the secondary or the one B big change with respect to uh, you know the new divorce act, act or divorce act legislation is it puts the language as it relates to family violence right in the legislation itself. Uh, and, you know, and, and in some of them, you know, you know, the normal layperson would know anyway, the main two being, um, um, you know, physical and psychological or emotional. Uh, it also provides, uh, you know, a new definition for uh, what's referred to as financial abuse or uh, violence in the relationship. You know, is one party after separation making it uh, impossible for the other side to survive financially? You know, has one party done that, cut, them, cut the other party off from the ability to earn income or the ability to have a bank account during that relationship? Uh, you know, so it, it's expanded those terms. If you could point to one thing, Alex, that, that's going to come out of all of this, be it for lawyers or, uh, or, or for the other parties and the kids, what, what really comes to mind? I think the main aspect of the changes of this letter, legislation is to put the prime or sole focus on the best interests of the children. What type of parenting access and financial plan can we put together so that these children that are involved in, in no fault of their own in the breakdown of this relationship can, can be provided with the best care and access to mom and dad that they deserve? This may be an ominous question, uh, Alex, but for those parties out there, who are just in the very early stages of of divorce what advice would you give them pertinent to the changes of this divorce act what should they prepare and brace themselves for 
In almost every family file, um, Denny, you know, one of the first pieces of recommendation or one of the first pieces of advice that I'll give a potential client is don't get bogged down uh, and dug into the smaller aspects of each file. Trinkets, household contents, other elements with respect to, you know, pick up and drop off locations, how close can each party reside to each other, as long as they're within reason, uh, you know, those have some ability to uh, provide concession on some of the what I would refer to are smaller issues. Uh, I think what it will do is it will keep the attention focused on the children or the significant financial elements of each file and it will really alleviate a lot of the conflict between the parents which then trickles down to uh, allowing children to uh, uh, you know get settled into their new separated lifestyle uh, without the emotional burden that would be laid on them in a high conflict separation. This is Melissa Weems from Ward's Lawyers and Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Yeah, 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 sure. It, it, from the outside, it hardly screams state-of-the-art arena sports and recreation facility. But the Ops Community Centre on Highway 7 east of Lindsay has a definite charm to it. No doubt that intangible quality, which seems to ooze warm local history via its many community dinners and games on its not-quite-regulation-quality ice surface, had at least something to do with City Council reversing its original decision to permanently shutter the beloved arena recently. It will remain albeit with some differences. Patrick O'Reilly is the city councillor who represents the ward where the Ops Arena is located and will remain. He joins me now. Councillor, uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks very much for inviting me, Denny. Okay, I hinted that the uh, Ops Arena, while uh, it won't be torn down or shuttered, it will look a little bit different. So maybe you can explain how it will look different. First of all, I'd like to shout out to the uh, to the ops community, especially Dennis Callahan and Karen Lynch, uh, Denny, for all the work that they did. They went out and got a number, I believe it was over 1,300 signatures, and I believe they had a team working with them as well, sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. Well, you can almost expect 1,300 people just within the Callahan family. They're, yeah, they're well, so dominant in Rayborough. Cousins and first cousins <laughs> up to that, yeah. <laughs> But but anyways, no, that was great, and uh, so anyway, so I think uh, the uh, the council certainly saw fit to uh, to keep the ops community center as a community center. Uh, they're going to keep the physical structure, although it, uh, like many uh, facilities that were built uh, 50 years ago, it certainly needs some ongoing repair. Keeping the existing community center itself, in particular the banquet hall, we're going to be able to carry on with the, the dinners, the wedding anniversaries, and the celebrations for all those things we've had over the years. And for it was also a voting station uh, for many years, has been in the past. And uh, I think the unique part about the uh, the Ops Community Center, just about every other uh, municipality before had a hamlet and uh, of their own, kind of like Omimi, whether it's Bethany, whether it's Little Britain or Oakwood or Woodville. But Ops never really had a hamlet. So that really is the center core of it when you think yeah. about it. That's its downtown core, if if you can think of that. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's what brought everybody together when everybody rallied, I think, when it was originally built, like like most other uh, small community centers in their community. But uh, I think that was the, it really, obviously really got a new identity uh, when we built the community center. So I think that's so important to, uh, to keep, why we wanted to keep it as well. Okay, so, so how is it being kept? Because I've heard talk of, you know, it's, it's there's going to be a playing surface, but not necessarily ice. Staff is going to bring a report forward in, in the fall about the potential uses for it, but it's not, they're not, uh, we may a decision that a number of years ago we had a hired a consultant and we found out that we had 10 ice pads and we really only need eight so since then a lot of the minor hockey numbers throughout uh, throughout the city of Coeur Lakes and many other communities has uh, have gone down as everybody knows sort of thing but um, so I think going forward, uh, it's going to be uh, we're going to have a have an, a, a nice pad. We're not going to upgrade the the system that makes the artificial ice. So it's going to be used for different functions. We we presume it'll be like could be indoor lacrosse, indoor soccer. It could be a pickleball. It could be a walking uh, walking path for a trail for seniors within the. And there's going to be a number of uses coming forward. I know obviously you know there's some repairs in the report. There was about seven hundred. $150,000 in repairs that we need. I think first and foremost, the, the roof needs repairs and, and some other uh, structures with the inside of it as well, obviously, uh, need I don't know, with a 50-year-old building. But the uh, most important things, we're going to keep it uh, as a community center. And uh, I think it has been very, uh, council was unanimous on keeping it. And Well, I am curious about the unanimous vote because we all know how rare that <laughs> that happened so I just wonder what happened to make the council go from I think we're going to shutter this or we are going to shutter this to no we're going to change our mind was there one specific thing was it was it public outcry was it was it one proposal what changed their minds so quickly Well, I I think uh, there was a combination of both I think first of all I mean there was there was tremendous response and support from the community with uh, with the with the when they came forward with all the signatures plus they realized that I think that uh, these communities were built by people for people, and I think you know the more they realize that afterwards that uh, you know even though we're not going to be able to go forward with an arena uh, with the ice pad as before, it's still a very very big part of our community. So I think that was the uh, I think those were the turning points. I believe, Denny. Full disclosure here: my my father-in-law was one of those people yeah. who literally carted concrete back and forth on a in a wheelbarrow many years ago. So, yeah. and, and I know you and I, again, more disclosure, you and I played hockey on that yeah. ice surface. I don't think anybody in this area has not played hockey. If they played <laughs> hockey at all, they played on that ice surface. So how much yeah. of that, that romantic notion that you, you said the word community, how much of that had uh, played a role in wanting to keep this, this arena, this building alive? Well, I think that was, it was certainly was the main thrust because we know as a community, when it was built 50 years ago, certainly has changed. There's a lot of the existing families that were were around were certainly a big part of it. When you mentioned your father-in-law, Philip Payne, and many other people in the community. But I think the other thing is we have a lot of new members in our community and with new people, there's uh, certainly changing needs. And uh, and I think, you know, uh, part of, uh, it's going to be disappointing at this point, it's not going to be, uh, so uh, it's not going to have an ice pad. But I think there's also some looking forward to uh, the multi uh, multi uses going forward and i think uh, it could be a really uh, exciting future for the for the new uses for it denny first of all they're relieved that we're going to keep it open and keep it as a structure secondly of all i think obviously there will be mixed feelings about losing the ice because there's many people that you know they have a, still have a minor hockey system even though combined with the uh, with uh, with omimi and uh, in any ways and there was a lot of number of men's teams as you well know that played out there 
that's going to be looking for ice time in either places like Omimi or Lindsay or Oakwood or Little Britain as well, too. So I think that, uh, you know, there certainly would be mixed feelings, uh, and justifiably so, for uh, for the ice pad not going in. I'm kind of looking forward to finding out exactly what box lacrosse is. <laughs> I yep. know that was one of the proposals. I've, I've never heard of yep. box lacrosse. On a personal level, Pat, what does this mean for you? Let's let's not uh, let's not kid ourselves. You you have a long connection to that arena on a personal level too. Well, exactly, and for sure. And uh, and my dad was an ops counselor as well for many years. And uh, myself, and certainly we're born and raised uh, since 1856 in the ops community. So we certainly are very proud of our heritage and very proud of the community and all those people that have built the community and participated in. So uh, I think it, we're certainly uh, certainly happy to look forward to what what the new uses may be. And uh, and I think it, in one sense, uh, it's going to be an exciting time as well. My name is Jeannie Truex from Dunsford, and you're listening to the Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes. I'll tell you something right now, girls. Think of it any way you like. It'll always turn out different. Hawks and crows do lots of things. But the canary only sings. She is a cordless and on wings. So I've heard. Eagles and storks. That was a scene from a student production of The Boys from Syracuse featuring Sydney Harwood-Jones and two of her classmates from the Music Theatre Performance Program at St. Lawrence College in Brockville. That scene and a spectacular class performance of the musical Going Under, which I saw this past weekend, was all performed via Zoom. All the actors slash singers in different locations and each benefiting from some creative visual trickery using green screens to give you the impression that they really were in a subway. Sydney, who is an LCVI grad, opted not to do online classes from home in Lindsay this year. Instead, she uh, she went to Brockville, where she can still sometimes rehearse with a few of her classmates following all the strict safety protocols, but mostly her education is via computer. Now take that in for a moment. It's one thing to do online learning where your course allows you to watch seminars on your computer, do group work on Zoom and and send and receive documents. But performing, it thrives on being in the same room with classmates. It depends on it really. Now Sydney says she took a few months to decide if she even wanted to return to classes for her second year. I started by asking her, what were those months like? They were painful because we didn't even get to do our show last year because the first years are supposed to do a show on the Brockville stage and we didn't even get to do that. So even if we had thought of like deferring the year, that means we would have gone two years without doing a show completely. And to musical theater students, that just didn't seem right. So we're like, at least, even though it would be on Zoom, we'd still be performing to some extent. And that gave us the drive to go to it. But those few months were definitely like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not why I'm paying all the money for college. But if I had have stayed home, I would have been in Lindsay still unable to do anything. So at least coming back to school, it gave me the opportunity to better my craft and perform even though it was on Zoom. I'm going to make this about myself for just a brief moment. I spent okay. a lot of, I spent a lot of time uh, as working with stand-up comedians who are the most cynical, and I can pretty much assure you, if they were in a, a stand-up comedy class in college, they would have just said, "That we're out." So, just describe to me what, what that mood was like amongst you and your your classmates. That that 
was there anybody who said no this this is crazy let's not do this or were they all kind of just let's put our best foot forward i think going into this year there was nobody that was like i'm not doing it they were all on board except for once we got through first semester there's been a lot of talk of like if next year is online then we're not doing it but so far the college has said that we're going to be 98 percent in person Okay, so what was the mood like back in September when you were all back, albeit looking at other yeah. students like we are on a screen? Yeah, it was really weird because it's the whole thing of like, I can see you, but I can't touch you or I can't like help you with anything. There's been a lot of like breakdowns <laughs> between the students. What do you mean breakdowns? Because, like, like crying sessions on Zoom together because our program relies so much on the contact with other people that having to do, especially in second year, we get to explore so many different scene work and so much um, like emotional topics because we've grown as performers over the last year. So when you're having to do that sort of thing where you have to break down all of your walls to a computer, it's weird because you don't get the same reaction from your partner. You don't get the same trust because you can't see them and you can't feel the energy coming back from you. So in September, it was, it wasn't as bad because we were just getting used to it. We were just like dipping our toes in the water. But as we kept going, I think like November was the breaking point where we were like, this is actually happening. We're going to be doing this for the next semester. And we didn't know how we were going to do it, but we knew that we had to. Okay. Now you mentioned we often as a collective. Let's, yeah. let's talk about you, Sydney. How, how, what was it like for you in that November to know that you had to take a deep breath and go, this is it. What, how are you dealing with it? It was interesting. I enjoyed having the people in my house. That was definitely um, a lot of help. Um, and fellow students too. Yeah, fellow students. But I struggled a lot because I tried doing online school in high school and it just wasn't it wasn't working. It wasn't a good idea um, because I'm a very like hands-on visual learner. So not having that uh, like choice. And you're a performer. Exactly. So not having that option makes it very hard. Um, as well as like, I went into theater to be on the stage and to like work with other people. So not even being able to do that in the space where I'm supposed to be learning how to do it. This seemed very backwards to me. Well, and very and, surreal, I would think, too. Yeah. Like, having to do all my dance classes in my bedroom is weird. Okay, tell me Didn't about that. Describe that. that to me. If I, if I, if I, What was that like in your dance class was, in my bedroom? Yeah. So, the way I have, I have my bedroom, like, like, my bed in the middle of my room. And I was like, well, that's counterproductive. I can't move around that. So, I have to shove everything to the side of my room so i have enough space to even do one pirouette like it's painful <laughs> literally painful yeah <laughs> in the virtual musical that i saw going uh, going under it's about high school kids heading to their grad but they're stuck on the subway mm -hmm. what was that whole process like uh emotionally and mentally to be performing yeah. separately but together i had an amazing team to work with the directorial team was amazing and they made it so easy um to feel connected to the group every day before rehearsals we'd have like a circle time where we would s sit in our own seats but it, he's like okay now picture you're in a room together you're in the circle and you're sending your love to each other and once you close your eyes and you actually imagine that you're in the room with everybody it makes everything so much easier obviously when you open your eyes you realize that you're not 
but they made a very clear point of being like, this is a real situation in a not real place. So you have to differentiate the fact that your character is going through this at this moment, but me, Sydney, is not. So I have to leave that in the script. That way I can remove myself and go do the rest of my homework. Because if not, then you constantly have that weight of something that isn't happening on you 24-7, which doesn't make sense. Because why would you carry a weight of something that's not real to you with you? But that's kind of acting too, I guess, isn't it? is yeah this is with all due respect to engineering students or business students or, or history and, and and journalism students of which my two sons are, are studying right now yeah. I, I just wonder if uh, as uh, because of what you just described and i could tell you've really given this some thought uh what advantages you may have had to transpose yourself into that environment whereas you know very a student in a very linear thinking course may not have had so what advantages do you think you had given that you're studying performing? Yeah, so a big thing that we study is imagination technically, because even with like classes that don't involve acting per se, like we have a, a VSM course, which is voice, What's speech VSM? and movement. What is VSM? Voice, voice, speech and movement. Okay. So we learn different dialects and we learn how to move our bodies in space. Um, and we learn like how to speak on your, on your breath, whereas how I'm talking now, whereas if you were to sink down, you're not speaking to your fullest extent. And in that course, you're forced to, I, I like to call it the hippie course, because- <laughs> they, With all due respect they, to hippies. Of course, they go into it and they're like, okay, now imagine your water, how would water move through the space? So you're forced to not think linearly. So you physically have to be like, okay, I'm going to be, a droplet of water, or I'm going to be an ocean today, or I'm going to be the little stream by my house. Because if you don't go to your full extent of that, it affects your mark. So <laughs> you have to take that into it too, where we're like, okay, so I, I have no choice but to be the droplet of water today. And that's what I'm going to do. So going into this, a lot of us have been like, okay, well, what animal would my character be? Or what um, what season would my character be? And it, it makes it fun as well as imagining yourself in that situation. It's almost like so you're method acting a student who is in exactly. class, but you're method acting a real student of which you are. Does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I got that. Wow. Um, what do you think this whole experience has done for you, Sydney, as a performer, like mm. stuff that you'll be able to take with you that you may not have been able to to learn if you weren't in this situation? Um, it's definitely given me big time respect for all of the technicians that are in theater. I, I mean, I've, I've already respected them. It gives me like a whole different respect for that as well as film and TV actors because you, we've learned how to now act to a camera during this year, which we never would have had to do before. And it's so much more toned down than obviously we're used to because on a stage you have to do it to the balcony. And now we're sitting in front of a camera, even just like video editing, because all of our projects have been recorded and edited. That's so intriguing to me. And the people that have so much knowledge on that is so fun. And now I know how to mix sound and edit videos. So having having that knowledge definitely makes it um, easier, as well as when we have to submit self tapes for auditions because you can't get to the destination or COVID is still happening. So we have to send in videos. And you've learned how to do a pirouette in your bedroom. Exactly, yeah. 
closed my eyes Drew back the curtain To see for certain What I thought I knew Far, far away Someone was weeping But the world was sleeping Any dream will do of light my golden coat flew out of sight the colors faded into darkness i was left alone may i return to the From Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, that is Any Dream Will Do, as performed by Lindsay's own Sydney Harwood-Jones, formerly of LCBI, now of the Music Theatre Performance Program at St. Lawrence College in Brockville. This wraps up episode 29 of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, which is brought to you by Ward's Lawyers, the official sponsor who has made this show possible since day one, more than a year ago. If you're looking for a lawyer, look no further than wardlegal.ca. They can meet all your legal needs. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and our very own Facebook page. Tell your friends and even your casual acquaintances about us. We always welcome your feedback on the show. Gerald Van Halteren is the musical magician who wrote and performed our theme and our musical bridges. The Advocate Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Denis Grignel, the fellow who did get his first shot recently, and hoping he will be joined by millions of others too. Get the jab. We'll talk to you on May 1. Mm-hmm.